Thanks for joining us once again for another episode of the Play Sheet Podcast. I'm Charles and I'm back here with my good friend Joe. Howdy as always. So last week, Joe, we updated the listeners on probably some of the biggest news items of the summer and some more recent news that's affecting some of the teams. But today we're here to take a little bit of a a deeper delve into some of the teams, how they're shaping up for this season and what their divisional competition looks like. That's right. Yeah. So we're not going to go into too much detail. We're not going to try to talk about every team here. We're just going to look at some of the things that we feel are more controversial, things that we think there's a bit of a discussion to be had. And we're going to start off today on the NFC East. And I'm going to lead us into this one, Charles. I think the Cowboys are getting way too much hype, and that's hardly a hot take. It happens every year. But I believe the bookies and most fans seem to have them as the winners of the NFC East. And I just don't see that at all. So I wonder where you've got them. Yeah. I'd agree with it in part. I don't think they're the walkaway champions of the division. I think there will be a bit of competition for that spot. But again, it could invariably be a very similar competition that we had last season where it's the best of the worst. Well, I kind of disagree now because I think that Washington football team clearly have a semi-decent team now. I think the limiting factor perhaps will be Fitzpatrick, and that's nothing against Fitzpatrick, but his age, he's been around. We know what he's like. He'll have two or three games that are great, and it'll be Fitz magic, and he'll be turning up to press conferences in blazers and gold and all the rest of it, and then he'll have a couple of absolute stinkers and look really bad again. We know that's what happens with Fitzpatrick, and that's what you get. But I think the side around that, as long as they stay healthy, and this is my caveat because I don't believe they have very much depth there at all, but as long as they stay healthy... On both sides of the ball, they're looking pretty tasty. I mean, I I feel that Cowboys, Giants, football team, they could all take this division, either one of them. I think they've all got the potential to. I think the only team that don't stand a chance is the Eagles. I think you may be giving the Cowboys a little bit too much credit there. I, I, I really think, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that's just not really much fair. Now, on the defensive side of the ball for the Cowboys, the linebacker unit, I would say that that looks pretty good to me. You've got Leighton Van Der Esch, Keanu Neal, Micah Parsons, who's come in and had a great camp so far as a rookie, and then Jalen Smith as well. You've got players there, you've got depth. I don't have any problems at all with the linebacking unit. But you look at their D-line, Demarcus Lawrence, Neville Gallimore, Carlos Watkins, Randy Gregory. At the minute, all four of those players are injured. And... Judging by the history of those players, I'd expect a lot of them to be taking injuries through the season and getting injured during the season. And there's no depth behind them. The starting defensive backs, Trevon Diggs, who I mean was all right last year, but uh, he played, I think, very much like a second round pick, which he was. Donovan Wilson, Demonte Kazee, and Anthony Brown. There's very little to get excited about from the defensive backs there. And remember, they were getting blazed for a lot of points last year against not very good teams. I think that this Dallas D just isn't good enough really across all units except for linebackers and then you go into the offense and you know injuries are such a thing but the offensive line last year wasn't great it was starting to to come apart they put a lot of faith and a lot of trust in new players rookies and you know even players like Cooper Lamb Elliot they all had down years last year they've all got to have bounce backs so I really don't see much in this Dallas Cowboys team. It makes me think they're going to win the division. Very little. But I see a lot in the Washington football team where I think it's it, it should be theirs. I think, though, it's important not just to look at the players as individuals. 
when you look at the unit that we saw last season and you look at the unit that has a lot of those same players in it this season, they look totally different. And I know we said this last week, it's pre-season, it's easy to look good, you just need to make sure that you don't look bad. But we saw them out there last season. They looked clueless. They looked like they didn't know what they were supposed to do at times. They got confused. There was a lack of communication. I think Dan Quinn has come in here and already they look aggressive. They look like they're working as a single unit. And yes, it's preseason. So will that carry over into the season? Who knows? But, you know, Dan Quinn, head of Falcons previously, their defence looked terrible. But when you go back to his days in Seattle of, uh, you know, in the Legion of Boom, it very much feels like defensive coordinator is his strong point. And already, I think the defensive side for the Cowboys, even with the same pieces, they look more aggressive. They're operating as a unit. There is cohesion there. And they're starting to perform in the way that we expected they would do last season. But I'm going to pull you on one of those things there. The Legion of Boom, that wasn't a defence that was great because of a scheme it was running. It was great because of some of the individual performances of a lot of players there who will be in the Hall of Fame. When you had Richard Sherman, you had Clark, you had Cam Chancellor, you had all these greats playing and doing their thing and often going off script. That's what made the Legion of Boom great. Like you said, the Falcons D was terrible. I don't really care about if they're playing like a unit or not. I just don't think the personnel that they have there are good enough. I genuinely feel that this Cowboys D will give up a lot of points and there's going to be too much pressure placed on Dak. And let's not forget Dak. We've not even mentioned Dak yet. Dak isn't healthy. And at the minute, they're saying that this shoulder slash back injury that he has could linger all season. That's a significantly worrying thing to hear because shoulder, arm injuries for a quarterback... That's not just something you walk off or just get over. That's going to bug him all season. And I think that's it for me. I feel a little bit more comfortable about the Cowboys' defense this this time round. It is certainly the offense that I've got maybe a few more questions around or questions need to be answered. Certainly Dak is one of those. But also when you took a look at, at Zeke last year, and I know the offensive line were bad for the Cowboys, but Zeke looked terrible. And if this is a start of a trend as opposed to just an off year, then it doesn't matter how good the Cowboys defense is. They're not going to score nearly enough points that they need to, to offset the defense. Have you been watching hard knocks? Uh, no, not this season yet. Cause I'm going to say Zeke has slimmed down a lot. He looks, he looks smaller and I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. I can't really work it out yet. We'll soon see, but he looks like he's lost maybe 10, 15 pounds. He, like, he really does look slimmer. I don't know whether that's going to be good in terms of his elusiveness or if he's just not going to be able to get the hard yards the way that he used to play with that aggressive, violent running style. My gut says it's more of a latter because he's not that elusive type and you just you don't get that overnight just by losing weight. So I'm not sure if his slim down appearance will help him do better. We'll soon see. Yeah, but he did look sluggish last year. I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know how dramatic the weight loss is, but I'd have thought he had a few pounds to shed. It's noticeable. It's noticeable. Yeah. So, I mean, do you want to touch briefly on Mika Parsons and, and how good he's looked? He's looked good. He's He really looks like a side-to-side, do-everything 
get involved in every play kind of linebacker. That's certainly the impression that he's trying to be getting out on hard knocks, you know, trying to make out he wants to get to every play and say now he gets to every play and all that kind of nonsense. But he's been doing it in the preseason games. And again, we'll say it every time we talk about preseason, preseason doesn't mean much. But if you're running around and looking as busy as you look, well, you are looking that busy and you can't really fake that. He's a busy player. He gets involved. He makes good hits. Uh, I think... I find him a little bit annoying on hard knocks, to be honest. <laughs> but it looks like they've got what they want there, and he certainly seems to be playing like a top 10 draft prospect from what we've seen of him so far. There's no black marks against his name so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, a really good point that you picked up on in that he looks very versatile, how he's trying to do everything, as well as his pace. PFF have graded him 91 this preseason now you know we've talked about I don't PFF, PFF in the past and yeah. you take it with a pinch of salt right but that ranks him third amongst all the rookie defenders and I think when you match that with the kind of eye test that you've seen from preseason he certainly looks like a, a really good draft prospect. He seems to be a kind of aggressive harder tackling Leonard. That's kind of what I'm seeing there. Yeah, and, you know, he's got fantastic speed. I think there was a point in one of the preseason games where he split a double play and chased down Tarod, and that was that looked impressive. Again, you know, not against the number one unit, but the signs are there. There was blown blocks there. I know the play you're talking about, but I think that's more shame on the O-line for letting him through. But I know what you're talking about. We'll see. It's preseason. He's got a lot to do so far. So let's just see how it goes. But just to finish off the NFC East here, New York Giants, I don't want to go in as all-in as I went last year when I said that they were a sneaky team to watch out for. But just look at the weapons that Daniel Jones has around him going into this season. He's got Saquon coming back, getting healthy. He's got Kenny Golladay, who is one of the best red zone threats in the league. Six foot four, a huge unit, catches most things you throw his way. I don't think that the Lions used him to his full potential either. I think there's more to come from him. Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, who are a very good two and three there. And then you've got some you know, wild cards. You've got John Ross in there. You've got Kadarius Toney, Evan Ingram. You've got Carl Rudolph in this. There's a lot of mouths that can be fed there now. And if Daniel Jones takes that step forward, the offensive coordinator getting him to use his feet more, doing a bit more of the RPO, if they start to bring that into the game and he can work that out and go through his progressions, this New York Giants offense could be pretty good. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that they're a bit of a dark horse in this division. And I think... They're definitely high potential. Yeah, and I think Jones showed absolute flashes of brilliant play last season. So you just need a little bit more consistency from him there. And I think, as you've mentioned with some of the players that they've brought onto the team, he has the tools around him where if he can play consistently, then they will match that output. Wasn't Jones the fastest clocked quarterback last year? Have I got that right? Was he the fastest? He was the second fastest. I think I think he might have been the second fastest. That was when he had that trip, wasn't it? But he got up to he got up to a a a really impressive speed. I, I think that made him the second fastest. But yeah, he was certainly up there. So look, you know, we've seen he's got speed. He's got good footwork. He has the ability. He has the tools. It's just can he string it all together for for a complete season now? And I hope he does. It'll be interesting. It'll be good to see the Giants doing well again. Yeah, so absolutely. let's see how that goes. Yeah. So there's these teams that are there. And just to add to the mix as well, with Washington football team, 
take out fits from a mix set. You've got Gibson, you've got Terry McLaurin, who's had a great start to his career. You've got the Swiss Army Knife, which is Curtis Samuel in this team now. Adam Humphreys, who's a great third wide receiver. Logan Thomas at tight end. There's just not depth there. The depth is basically rookies. Behind that, JD McKissick, Dynami Brown, Cam Sims, Jarrett Patterson. I don't like the depth. If their starting offense stays healthy, again, they could roll quite nicely. But I think if injuries come in, which they no doubt will at some point, I think that's when the tires might come off the Washington O a little bit. Yeah, I completely agree. We saw how aggressive they were last season. They had some really big splash plays, but it only takes one or two of those players to go down. And as a unit, they crumble. And I think that's my nervousness there, that lack of depth. Well, we're not in the prediction game too much because no one cares what our predictions are. Who cares, right? But for what it's worth, my prediction is that Washington will win the NFC East. Okay. I'm saying that early. I think I'm big on the Giants this season. So let's see where we end up there. Are we all agreed that the Eagles don't stand a chance? (laughs) I don't rate Hurts. I don't think Hurts is the long-term quarterback for that franchise. From what I saw of Hurts last year, there wasn't enough there to impress me. Relying on his feet too much, not really a passer. There's so many issues with that Eagles team in terms of players coming to contracts, huge contracts, not enough depth, not enough young players in there. I don't see the Eagles doing much. Having said that, now they'll probably go and win 10 or 11 games, but no. So I'm I'm not putting Eagles in that conversation. If that wasn't bad enough then, Joe, one of the bookie companies out in America did uh, a report on the worst NFL cities on game day. It takes into account things like the prices of tickets, drinks, food, parking, stadium capacity, the type of roof, positive versus negative social media posts on game day, etc. Philadelphia ended up second worst NFL city on game day. And uh, who's worse than Philadelphia? Well, I think you I think if you think really long and hard, you might be able to guess it. And I'll give you a clue. It's in the same conference, but not the same division. Is it Detroit? It is not. You're very close. We both love to hate them, Joe. It's the Chicago Bears. Chicago is the worst game day experience, really. Yeah, according to prices and negative social media posts and stadium, the lot, Chicago tops it. But I mean, no offence to all our listeners who are Philadelphia fans, but Philadelphia fans are the worst, though, aren't they? Everyone knows that. <laughs> they have a bit of a reputation for uh, causing <laughs> destruction and being a bit miserable. <laughs> I certainly do, yeah. So, okay, interesting. I'm, I'm surprised that Chicago came up there. Surprised. There you go. So, should we move on then to the NFC South? Yeah, and I, I don't know about you, but I don't think we need to spend as much time on the South here. A very high-level summary it's very interesting what Tampa Bay have done here in terms of managing to re-sign all of their starters who became free agents from a Super Bowl winning team last year. Interesting that. We're going to speak about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a little bit more in a bit more detail when last year's competition winner Gav comes on in a couple of weeks. When a team signs all of its starters from a previous year, it basically means that they haven't moved forward too much. They've got their rookies, but their rookies were all late round picks with them having the 32nd pick in the draft. So they have a few rookies, but they haven't really bought too much in. If you stand still for too long in the National Football League, everyone will overtake you, generally. I think what's working in the Buccaneers' favour this year, though, is that most of the other teams in the division 
are generally going backwards. The Saints, as we mentioned a lot last year, are in salary cap hell. We've just lost Drew Brees. They're all-time great. Again, preseason, whatever it means, but Winston and Taysom Hill have looked mainly garbage. We've seen a few flashes of classic Winston, but classic Winston is throwing a great pass. I mean, throwing a dumb as hell pass for next ball. We've seen lots of that. The Saints are going to have issues. Michael Thomas out injured. The Saints won't be the Saints we've seen for the last few years this season. Atlanta Falcons still are going the wrong way slightly. Someone needs to right that ship, but they're not there yet. There's rebuilding that's got to happen there. Carolina Panthers, for me, are the interesting team in this division. I'd like to see what they're going to do. I'd like to see who they're going to start with at quarterback, but I think it's going to be interesting. And if it's Sam Darnold, you know, a change of scenery, he was uh, what he, a, a top five draft pick. Let's see if he can resurrect his career and let's see what he can do there. Carolina Panthers, I'm not saying they're a dark horse, but they're a team that intrigues me and I'd like to see what they do this season. With all that said, though, the NFC South, I think it's a box and I don't really see past the box. And that's not because I'm putting the box on a pedestal as a great team. I don't think they're going to win Super Bowl again. They're going to win the NFC South. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. You know, as you said, all the other teams, they seem to be tracking in the opposite direction. I, I'm really glad that you mentioned that about Jameis Winston, because that was the one thing that I wanted to also pick up on. It very much looks like Winston is winning that battle over Hill for the quarterback start. Hill's been terrible. He's been dreadful. Hill's been terrible. He's been absolutely dreadful. Yeah. But the one thing I was going to say is, look, Saints fans, do not get carried away because we have seen this time and time again from Winston. He can throw a bomb. He can do, you know, a 70-yard touchdown, but he can't do it with consistency. And that is what we've come to expect from Winston. So I would just say temper expectations there, but I completely agree with you on all of that. Don't be surprised if we see Ian Book play at some point this season. I think we're both in agreement here that James Winston will be a starter in game week one. If Winston gets injured at some point, or if Winston just goes on an absolute downer and plays a few tragically bad games, maybe they try out the rookie Ian Book at some point. Sixth round pick, you know, a late pick, a bit of a flyer. But judging by how bad Hill's been, I don't see why why you wouldn't give Book a try. Yep. Okay, that's the South. Not too much to talk about there. Let's go on to the West, because I think there is a little bit more to talk about here. Chaz, you want to start this one off? Yeah, of course. We said this last season that this is one of the toughest divisions to call, and I don't think much has changed in that respect. I still think it's going to be a really, really competitive division. Um, I mean, where do you want to start? Should we start with the Cardinals? Cardinals were my favourites last year. They didn't quite get it done. I'm still backing them again this year, I think. They've shored up some of those areas that they they needed to tighten up on. And I think with everybody healthy and going into the new season, I still think they've just got a little bit more than, say, the Rams or, you know, Seattle coming back. I don't hate the Cardinals at all. And I think that they will make a step forward this year. I believe that the 49ers are the best team in the division. And it's just going to be interesting to see how those 49ers play out, whether it's going to be Garoppolo leading them, how long he'll be leading them for, and at what point they go Trey Lance. Trey Lance is getting a lot of love in preseason games. He's scored a couple of nice touchdown passes. The first touchdown pass in week one was blown coverage. People aren't really saying that, but it was. The defensive back was nowhere near the wide receiver. His touchdown pass in week two was uh, it was a rocket. It looked pretty good. It looked impressive. The cameraman couldn't keep up with it. Great pass. Lance Weaver starter at some point, and I think that 
if Lance is the player they thought he was, and this back office has invested a lot of capital in him, so they clearly thought he was really something. And they're normally right. We like what the San Francisco 49ers back office do. If they are right, then he'll be the dimension that takes them to pushing in front of the Seahawks and where the Seahawks have generally been for the last decade. I know that the 49ers went to a Super Bowl. I know they've won a division here and there. But if you look at the past 10 years, Seahawks have been a predominant team in the NFC West. Lance, I think, takes them above the Seahawks and puts them on that pedestal as being the number one team. And then it's a bum fight, I think, between the rest. I get what you're saying about the Cardinals. I get that. A lot of people are hyping the Rams. Rams are getting a lot of hype. And it seems to be all be based on Matt Stafford. I'm not a believer just yet. I'm not a believer. I'll wait till we see it. Matthew Stafford is a good quarterback. He gets a lot of love from other quarterbacks in terms of some of the throws that he does and some of the things, the ways that he works. But he was never the difference that made the Lions win. If he was, you know, a game winner, the Lions wouldn't have come bottom of the NFC North most seasons. He's not going to win games by himself. And I don't think he's going to win games by himself in Los Angeles right now. Is he an upgrade on Jared Goff? Yeah, he is. I don't think anyone's doubting that. But I don't think he's enough of an upgrade to suddenly make them the predominant team in the NFC West. I, th I think for me, it's a bit like what you said with Washington football team. The Rams seem threadbare to me. We saw what happened to them last season. You remove Aaron Donald, which we saw in postseason, they crumble. You saw what happened when you remove Cam Akers from the regular season. They lost game after game. They don't have the depth, in my opinion, to be a Super Bowl team. And whilst I think that they will certainly be competitive. I think they only stand a chance in this division if they all stay healthy all of the time. And I think that's just such a big if in the NFL. And to your point, Stafford is without question an upgrade, but the weapons that he's throwing to are still more like pistols than semi-automatics. You know, he's... 100%. I'm glad you just said those two points because I was going to say them next, but I realised I was talking for too long. But absolutely, his wide receiver room, Bobby Trees, Cooper Cup, and Van Jefferson. It's okay, it's not terrible, but it's nothing to get excited about. That doesn't look like a Super Bowl winning set of wide receivers there. Tyler Higby, nah, come on. And then I'd love to see Andrew Whitworth play until he's 60 or 70. But he took that injury last year and he's at left tackle and there's not much behind him either. Yeah. Old Father Time is going to catch up with Andrew Whitworth at some point and why not this season? And you're right about depth, Charles. You look at the second stringers through this team and it's an absolute no-name second string. There's a lot of these players here who are practice squad players, really, who are on the second string because of some of the contracts that the Rams have, the amount of money they're paying Jalen Ramsey, the amount of money that they're paying Aaron Donald. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be paying those guys that kind of money, but when you're paying starters that kind of money, you don't have money for depth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then going back to your point just very quickly on the 49ers, I do think that they were not a competitive team last season because of injuries. It had nothing to do with their personnel. You know, the season before, they were at the Super Bowl. They weren't competitive last season, but that's because they were plagued with injuries. They're now not. So they're already starting from a good position. And I agree. If Lance is as good as the 49ers think he is and he gets the start early enough, then they will fight for this top spot 
there's too big a question mark there for me, whereas I think the Cardinals are in a position to compete from week one, and I don't know yet if the 49ers are. Lance will have to come in earlier as well. You don't give up three first-round picks to have a guy sat on the bench. And no matter what sounds they might be making about how they love Jimmy and Jimmy's still their guy and Jimmy's here to compete and Jimmy's a great team player and Lance can learn from Jimmy and all of these kind of things, it was three first-round picks on Trey Lance. He will be starting soon. It will be by week six and it could happen sooner. If Jimmy G goes off the field with a dead leg for a quarter, that's it, game's up. Because whatever Lance does will be great and amazing, and, and that's how things will be classified. So Trey Lance will be starting soon. He'll give him that edge, and you're right about injuries. And this is one thing that we always say, injuries are part of a game. You have to be able to adapt to injuries. You have to be able to accept the injuries that come your way. There's a caveat on that statement with the 49ers because the 49ers, it was an exceptional amount of injuries that they had. That wasn't a normal amount of injuries. That was injuries far beyond what you should expect. And they won't have injuries like that again this year. And unless something is seriously wrong there and the guy who's taking their warm-up isn't doing their warm-up right, who knows, right? But as long as there's not something like that there, they will not have as many injuries this year and they'll be a strong team all the way through the year. So what do you think about the Seahawks then? Have they taken a step forward? Because they were very inconsistent last season. No, they haven't, Charles. They haven't. And I touched on this in some of the preview videos that I did for draft. Seahawks had no picks. They had like no picks at all. They have the fewest picks of any team drafting. If I remember correctly, their first pick was late on day two. I think they had a third round pick to start. So they didn't strengthen very much at all through the draft. They obviously drafted players, and I don't want to be disrespectful to those players, but no one in their right mind can say that picking a few third rounders is going to strengthen this team. It's not. It's not going to make them a better team just yet. They obviously did a little bit of work in free season. I don't really like too much of the work that they did there. You look through this team, and this team, to me personally, doesn't look like it strengthened much from last year. All right, there's a couple of pickups here and there, but I think this is a team that's taken a backward step, and if any team is going to be the one that struggles this year, look no further than the Seattle Seahawks. Great, thanks for that, Joe. And then I think let's let's finish off at home field, shall we, and just briefly touch on the NFC North. I'll kick us off with Green Bay. For me, the biggest issue is special teams. It was a big problem for us last season, and it looks like absolutely nothing has changed from the quick preseason eye test. I think defensively, we've also looked to shambles, but again, really hard to tell with preseason. We've just been shipping people in and out every other play, so there's been no consistency there, and not many starters have taken to the field. But I do not think it's going to be as easy as it was last year for us. I think we're going to have more competition in the division. And I think it's going to be a battle for the top spot. I think it's a hard one. I'm not going to get into this too much because we could just have a pop room talk talking about Vikings and Green Bay forever and ever. And that's not what anyone wants to hear. Vikings, though, we mentioned in preseason, you can't really look good. You can only really look bad. The Vikings have looked bad in preseason. They have not scored an offensive touchdown in two games. The only touchdown they've scored is one pick six that they've had. So very little to get excited about from the Vikings preseason performances. They're also the team with the lowest COVID vaccination rate. There's actually a BBC News story that picked up on how they've had a epidemiologist or whatever the fella is coming into their camp to talk to them about COVID vaccinations. That's how bad things are there. There's been injuries. Barr is still injured. He's still not right. 
there's a lot of issues, I think, still with this Vikings team. There's a soft underbelly to it. The defensive backs still haven't really clicked yet. Everson Griffin, bringing him back, I think was a mistake. I think that reeks of desperation. He's not been good since he left the Vikings. And after he left the Vikings, he insulted head coach Mike Zimmer. He insulted Kirk Cousins. I'm not sure really what the Vikings think they're going to get with this player bringing him back. But he's not been relevant really as a top defensive end for two or three seasons. Not since he had his issues. We've talked about our teams touching on the Bears. Bears, there's obviously a lot of hype around fields. Fans are getting very excited about him. We're both biased here as NFC North teams. But a lot of that hype came from one touchdown throw on a massively piece of blown coverage. Like the guy that he threw with the touchdown pass to was was in so much space. So I think the nearest players to him were like the cameraman. So that doesn't really I mean, mean much. I mean, they're still saying they're starting Andy Dalton week one. And again, I... They are still saying that, I don't yeah. know how much of that is coach speech. But any team that is starting Andy Dalton week one is not a team to be feared, in my opinion, from the get-go. <laughs> you know, sure... Fields might come in later down the line, but from week one, I'm not too nervous about Andy Dalton leading the Bears. No, and to add to that as well, it's not like the weapons have been exceptionally hot over the last few years. Aside from Alan Robinson, I mean, Darnell Mooney's been okay, but nothing more than that. Marquis Goodwin, whatever. Cole Komet, all right, Titans take a few years to mature, but he needs to show something this year then, really, or or at least start to show the shoots of a good performance. Then, you know, the Bears D, it's been pretty good for the last few years, but it's not a D that's been strengthened too much during the draft. I'm not massively up on this Bears team yet. Let's see. And then the Lions are probably the weakest team in the division. Yeah. Still. Yeah. So, look, I think that pretty much wraps up our review of the NFC. We'll cover the AFC next week. But before we sign off, Joe... Why don't you give us a quick roundup of this week's matchup, preseason games, and some of the key things that you've spotted? I'm going to keep this really quick this week, Charles, because we've obviously spoke about the NFC a fair amount. I want to touch, first of all, just on the Cincinnati Bengals, how frustrated their fans must be right now. Joseph Asai, third round pick, defensive end. He was really a steal in the third round. For a lot of people, he was going end of the first, start of the second. So to get him 69th uh, overall, that looked like a great pick. Out for the season, injury, he's done. So a massive shame for that player. But to add to the Bengals' woes, Jamar Chase arguably is looking like the worst of the major rookies in training camp so far. And what I mean by major rookies, I'm talking to kind of top 10 picks here, players that were hyped, players that, you know, had the cameras in their front rooms on draft night who would have been in the green room. These players, Jamar Chase, fifth overall, waiting for that magical hookup for the LSU players between him and Joe Burrow. Jamar Chase has looked bad. It's preseason, it's training camp, it's all of those things. But you can look bad, and he's looked very bad. Three targets last week against Washington football team, and he fluffed all three of them. I think he may have had like something like six targets a week before and only caught two of them. So he's had a severe case of the dropsies. Now, Jamar Chase was drafted number five because he's supposed to have his hookup with Joe Burrow, and he's not had a pass run at him by Joe Burrow yet. So the proof will be in the pudding when that happens. But I'm not sure what Joe Burrow throwing to him will do to stop him from dropping the ball. I mean, drops are drops. So Jamar Chase concerns there. And adding in the Joseph Asai injury, and it's a bit of a downer so far for fans of the Bengals. 
Next, just want to talk about Zach Wilson. We had some feedback on the pod last week that our Jet fan, and I say Jet because I think there's only one out there, but our Jet <laughs> fan wasn't happy with the amount of love that we gave to Zach Wilson. So just want to give that a shout because Zach Wilson was even more impressive in his second game against Green Bay. Undoubtedly the best looking rookie quarterback in week two. And, and you'd probably say across both preseason weeks so far, consistently made the right looks, been doing the right thing, been doing everything you'd want to do with a rookie quarterback going through his progressions and playing the game the right way. So you have to give some love out to Zach Wilson. Certainly been impressive so far and something for the Jets to no doubt get excited about. And then just to finish off, I just wanted to touch more because it's something that I don't really understand, and I just want to bring it to people's attention, because I'm not sure if enough people know about this yet. Nathan Peterman, the Nathan Peterman, has played every single minute of preseason for the Oakland Raiders so far, and I just don't know why. Nathan Peterman existed just before the Josh Allen era. I think it was just before Josh Allen, and basically, he probably put in the worst quarterback performance I think any quarterback has ever put in. By half-time, I think he'd been in- intercepted four times, might have been five. He had the stinker of all stinkers. Every single possession ended in an interception. He was the butt of jokes for weeks and weeks. It, one of the worst all-time quarterback performances ever. And he's played every single minute of the Raiders preseason. I'm not sure if this is more Gruden mind tricks, but I don't know why Nathan Peterman is out there playing every single minute for the Raiders in preseason, but he is. And I'm sure there's some people out there who are just as surprised and shocked at that as I am. So that's what I'm going to finish with. Well, that just about does it for us then, Joe. It's been great chatting football again, and it's got me excited about the new season already. We're only two weeks away now from the start. Two weeks away. Let's catch up next week. We'll do it all again. Looking forward to AFC, Charles. See you then.